Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, flammables, an album that bumps eternally. And today we'll be breathing in the air tonight together to revisit the 1981 solo album by Phil Collins, Face Value. It must be Relevant and Phil Collins should be mentioned in the same sentence. There are a number of reasons for that, but the one I have in mind is how his In the Air Tonight was rediscovered by YouTube stars Tim and Fred Williams in 2020 on a reaction video that went viral, was declared a bop, made Phil a trending topic, blew his sales up, and inspired a whole new generation of air drummers. Face Value is, of course, where the song is from. Phil Collins' debut album released February 13, 1981 on Virgin Records Across the Pond and Atlantic Records Stateside. I don't know how often it gets mentioned when we talk about breakup albums, but maybe it should. In the Air Tonight, like I'm Not Moving and If Leaving Me Is Easy, are deep feels cuts, contemplative conversations that you have with yourself when love is no longer being served, so you leave the table. Deep cuts require deep rosters, and PC assembled quite the squad. Clapton, Earth, Wind & Fire's The Phoenix Horns, Sean Carr, Arif Martin, and Alfonso Johnson. Together with the Dream Team, he assembled a dozen tracks written mostly by him, including an acapella John. Just like Karen Carpenter and Maurice White, Phil Collins was a drummer who could both establish the pocket, but also had all sorts of talent in his pocket. It's worth noting, Phil Collins has always been cool. Face value, though, is hot. Face value is a heat rock. Face Value was the album pick of our guest today, singer-songwriter-producer Benny Sings. He may be a native of the Netherlands, but over the course of his nearly 20-year recording career, his sound seems to have found a natural home here in Southern California, with adjectives like warm and breezy often applied to his particular sonic feel and vibe. And yes, he's heard all the yacht rock jokes before, but since when was smoothness, with or without a nautical theme, a sin? Benny's latest album, which just came out in April, is the simply entitled Music, released on Cali's own Stone's Throw label, and it includes, fittingly enough, the song Sunny Afternoon, which it is indeed in L.A. right now as we tape this episode. It's a sunny Benny Sings, welcome to Heat Rocks. Hi. Good to have you with us. And since this is the first time that we've talked about Phil Collins, or really, I would say, Morgan, anything around the world of Phil Collins in this moment and this sound, why don't we just kind of ease into just a basic conversation around how were each of us introduced to Phil Collins' music at all? And Benny, you want to lead us off here? 
so yeah, I was young, uh, I guess like six or seven or something, and and my I had this big cousin of mine, uh, and he was my hero. He's like ten years older, and he bought the album Face Value, and and he played it in the car. I know, and we were on a, on a holiday with the whole family, and he played that in our family car. Uh, and he did the drum solo and he did the air drums and I was just in awe of of my cousin and, and Phil Collins at the same time. Shout out to cousins doing air drums in cars. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Morgan, how about you? Well, I have to say, I, I cannot remember a time where Phil Collins just wasn't a presence, mm. either on radio, um, as Benny says, in the car. And in the 80s, in the mid-80s, Phil Collins was the man, you know what I'm saying? He had the black black t-shirt, the black muscle shirts. And uh, he had a nice string of hits. Um, Susudio, 84. Let's see, uh, Against All Odds, 84. And then, uh, you know, I love Earth, Wind & Fire, so I love uh, Philip Bailey. So when they came with Easy Lover in 1985, I was like, oh, man, Phil Collins yeah. is, it, it is an OG. So the, I can't remember a time where Phil Collins wasn't present, but... Certainly those times that I mentioned, 84 and 85, he just came out so strong. And uh, and I loved his voice. I loved everything everything about him. So yeah. that was really my introduction in, was the mid-80s. Yeah. I think I was on a very similar timeline to you, Morgan, because the songs that immediately come to mind were really those mid-80s hits. I think this is probably stuff that was off of No Jacket Required or the albums that came after that. Yeah. And I don't think I heard anything off of Face Value and really... Let's just be honest. The only song I ever heard off of uh, Face Value was In the Air Tonight, and that was largely because of its its resonance throughout the entirety of the 80s, and we'll get into a longer discussion later, I'm sure, about the kind of iconic Miami Vice use of the song, but I don't think I ever heard the song when it first came out because I wasn't really listening to I don't know, maybe it was on the radio at, the t- at that time, but it was really the mid-80s Collins where he was really at his, his height um, that I w- was getting into his music. And I realized that even though I certainly have heard a fair amount of the big hits by Collins, by Peter Gabriel, by Genesis, when I went back and looked at the 70s catalog by Genesis and Gabriel, I'm like, I don't think I know any of this stuff. So really my introduction to Collins is not like early career, it's all mid-career. And I'm wondering for each of you, did you all ever spend a lot of time with the 70s output when you know Collins was leading um, was leading Genesis and, and playing with them before he w- went off in his solo career? I didn't. Um, I'm late to the party, obviously, but I didn't really come to know him until the 80s. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until later, you know, looking back, that I was like, oh, wow, Genesis, and, and quite a career with Genesis. But really, my introduction were the singles. Yeah. Uh, was LA Radio, where he was getting bumped, and also getting bumped on, on urban radio as well, mm-hmm. especially um, Easy Lover. That got bumped a lot out here. So for me, it was totally the 80s when I came to know him. Yeah. you benny yeah yeah the the same so and i i also just like that stuff more than the genesis stuff so i never got into that genesis stuff because like the the phil collins solo stuff is just way smoother and uh you know (laughs) got the feely feels i i think he's doing more pop music there than 
the previous Genesis stuff, which was 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 also a bit like um, uh, I can't find the word now, but like uh, serious. I don't know. It just has a certain. It's got soul or something, you know. I don't. I don't know how to describe it. It's just. Uh, it's it's got less of that, like. Pelgrims in an Irish pub or something that Genesis <laughs> has or something you know and wow and uh, it, it doesn't have that and I like that you know I want to ask about face value you picked this album obviously and we're excited about it but what is it about it that makes it a heat rock for you why is it this album that's so special to you because it it has that mix of pop feeling and a soul feeling like what I would describe as like easy you know like it just you feel it you know you feel it in your gut uh, but it has also got this um really strange side to it you know it, he made this album on his own uh, in a very dark period in his life just figuring out electronic stuff you know how to make beats for the first time in the 80s and so it's it's a very grimy album but then again, it has this slick man infusion, and I love that combination. You know? I just want to start off by saying that I learned a lot about this album and really more broadly speaking about Collins's career in that of, of Genesis by listening to our friend Chris Melanfi's Genesis episode on his Hit Parade podcast. Collins was informed by his wife, Andrea Bertarelli, that she was going to file for divorce. Collins's workaholism and long months on the road had left her bereft, caring alone for their children, and she even admitted to an affair. After she and the children moved out, Collins found himself, by 1979, living alone and brooding. Around the same time, by coincidence, Collins was given a prototype of the Roland CR-78, one of the earliest programmable drum machines, and he began experimenting with it in his mostly empty house. I know this is going to sound really silly, but because I always thought of Phil Collins as a pop singer, it never really occurred to me until prepping for this week, or, or maybe listening to actually Chris's uh, episode, that he was also, you know, or is, I should say, it's not like he's gone. I mean, he's a really, you know, talented songwriter. Yeah. And in particular, this yeah. album, and this speaks to Benny's point, I mean, this was one of those albums that was really rooted in some real life shit, you know, going on with him. Oh, show my friends all come round. So for me, it was getting familiarized with just rethinking about Collins as more than just someone who croons a lot of radio hits, but really is is someone who's producing and writing those hits. And so in listening to Face Value in particular, I was trying to figure out to what extent is this a really great pop album? Is it a really great confessional album? And of course, it, it doesn't have to be either or. It can be both. And I think I probably would have 
entered into face value thinking of it purely along pop lines until listening to Chris's episode was like, no, there's actually a lot more going on here behind the scenes right. that yeah. inspires the songwriting. You can put that whole story on like main, ma- mainly pop music itself. You know, it's uh, people tend to kind of look down on pop music a bit, you know, and it's almost never like that. You know, uh, those big pop heroes, they are at that place because they really are, they really can do something, you know, and they're, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, the celebration of pop for me, Phil Collins, is just what pop is to me, you know? Yeah. Morgan, how about you? What's what's your relationship to face value? You know, I love the album because I think it's nuanced. I think there are a lot of changes in the album. It does not stay the same. It is very personal and vulnerable, and there are some slow hits, but then smack dab in the middle, you've got like droned and hand in hand, which I wasn't prepared for. I was like, okay, so we're going instrumental with some with some uh, little vamps and vocals in the background, which I really loved. I'm obsessed with drummers that become singers or drummers that can sing. Karen Carpenter, yeah. Maurice White, Shaka Khan, uh, Henley. Um, so this emergence um, of him as sort of a lead singer and me coming to know him at this time and not knowing Genesis, I fell in love with this album before I even had to go back and start looking, listening to Genesis. And to Benny's point, I was like, that's cool. But for me, it was about Phil Collins by himself. Along those lines, speaking of the music and the production on here, you know, I think one of the things that Collins, and in particular, Face Value, is credited with is creating one of the iconic sounds of the 80s, which is those gated drums that we hear. And especially the older I get and spend time listening to music recorded in earlier decades, those kinds of sonic signatures that come with particular studio techniques, and in this case, like a lot of good studio techniques, it it was an accident, right? um, Collins and his producer didn't set out to reinvent how we recorded drums in the 80s. It was just kind of a a happy accident of, of leaving the wrong equipment on at the right time, I guess. But I I love when you can really know when something was recorded simply based on that sonic texture or timbre or feel with a particular instrument or production style. So yes, on the one hand, it does date the album to a, a very particular era. But on the flip side, I as a music writer and you know and, and someone who's interested in music history, I like having those things revealed to me just within a bar. You can automatically tell, okay, this was recorded early '80s based on that. The other thing I wanted to mention about the production, which I would love to get your anyone's thoughts on here, and Morgan, you were alluding to this a moment ago. You know, I was definitely used to artists, um, American and, and British artists in the '70s, being heavily influenced by American R and B, but I never really thought about Collins through that lens. And, and Morgan, I've completely forgotten that he re- he had recorded "Easy Lever" with Philip Bailey until coming back to this album and just hearing those Phoenix horn section players uh, from Earth, Wind & Fire, you know, Collins hired them as his brass section. And I don't know if personally I would ever confuse 
face value with being kind of a conventional R&B LP, but certainly on a song like I Missed Again, it definitely is working in that direction. You know, and Collins is pulling out a little falsetto action as well to kind of give that R&B feel. So would love to hear from both of you. What are your thoughts on the production and what you hear on this album musically? I think for me, what I love about this album is the trifecta of prog rock, pop, and soul. Mm. And it, and those three elements are present from start to finish. He either has all three in a song or he has one or the other. I love that. Two, you know, I love Earth, Wind & Fire. So that's that oh, yeah. you know how I feel about them. So that oh, yeah. that song sounds like it could be an outtake from All in All or any of the any of the late 70s or 80s albums of Earth Wind and Fire. I love that. And I think there's a reason why Phil Collins got played on urban uh, cont- contemporary radio in the 80s. There's a reason why we heard him on Black Radio and I think that it's that soul element. You are, you ask all the time about sequencing um, on, on, on albums. And I think the sequencing on face value lends to the point that I'm making that w- for, for those enthusiasts that are prog rock, you have that. Then he'll smooth you into something else. Then he'll bring you back to soul all the while he's confessing all the feelings that he's wearing on his sleeve. And so I think the arrangements and the productions help to underscore all the points we're talking about, about all the genres, but also all that Phil was going through. And so for me, going back to this being a heat rock, it's a heat rock um, because it's nuanced and has all those elements uh, to me in each and every song. Yeah. How about you, Benny? What do you what do you hear on this album? Yeah, it's the combination of things and it's also the, the unexpected combination and that it works is also unexpected. So who mm. thought like, mixing soul with with prog rock works you know uh and it does and and i think that's really amazing and magical um and yeah so and I'm, i always love when when people are like influenced by a certain genre like soul music but they're not particularly like they don't own it or something you know right. so it, yeah. it, it, it it's like a filled version mm-hmm. of soul or something you know and i i love the vulnerability that is in that failure you know uh mm. yeah that's just beautiful to me so yeah We will be back with more of our conversation with Benny Sings about Phil Collins' face value after a brief word from some of our sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. We're both doctors. and Nope, just me. Okay, well, Sydney's a doctor and I'm a medical enthusiast and we create... Okay. Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Every week I dig through the annals of medical history to bring you the wildest, grossest, sometimes dumbest tales of ways we've tried to treat people throughout history. And lately we do a lot of modern fake medicine because everything's a disaster, but it's slightly less of a disaster every Friday right here on MaximumFun.org as we bring you Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. And remember, don't drill a hole in your head. Does our podcast deep dive into the weirdest Wikipedia pages we can find? Yes. 
Do we learn about scam artists, remote islands, horrible mascots, beautiful diseases, and mythical monsters? Yes, 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 absolutely, and yes. Do we retain any of this knowledge? Eh, probably not. I'm Emily Heller. I'm Lisa Hannawalt. We make art and comedy and TV shows and also the podcast Baby Geniuses. For the past eight years, we've been trying to learn new things about the world and each other every episode. But let's be honest, this podcast is mostly about two friends hanging out, shooting the breeze, and making each other laugh. We're horny, we like gardening and horses, and we get real stupid on here. But like, in a smart way. Yeah. Join us every other week on Maximum Fun. Baby Geniuses, tell us something we don't know. And we are back on Heat Rocks talking with Benny Sings about Phil Collins' face value. The big hit off of this album, of course, was In the Air Tonight. And while it was already topping the charts when the album came out in 81, the song really received a huge second life when it was used in the pilot episode of Miami Vice in 1984. And just to let our audience know, uh, Morgan was familiar with this clip. I was familiar with the, this clip. Um, Benny was not. So we actually took time out so he could watch it and, and listen to it. And I just want to talk about this because it is considered to be one of the most pivotal moments in American television history. And I'm going to turn things over to the resident music supervisor here. Morgan, what is so important about this clip, both in terms of just how it's used outside of history, but if you know anything about the historical import of it, can you explain it to us? Sure. Um, there is something in, in uh, music supervision in sync called a featured use. And the featured use is important because it carries the most uh, cinematic real estate and it's uh, the place where you can justify the spend. I don't know how much they spent to clear this because they played the entire song damn near. Yes. I know the Miami yeah. Vice back in the day spent about $10,000 an episode, which at the time was like a lot of money to get those classic hits. Um, but it's important because it's a it's an iconic scene. I mean, it doesn't get better than two attractive dudes in a drop top. One's got his hair blown in the breeze. The other one has pristine curls. Um, and, and a sawed-off shotgun on his lap. But they don't look da- yep. dangerous. They're just sitting there looking resolute. But the shot is so classic because it's driving through Miami. It's showing Miami excess. It's a little on the nose because the top is down. They are in the air tonight, so to, so to speak, right? <laughs> It's an unexpected choice because they could have played anything, but it's so perfect. It's a perfect choice. Um, I think that was Frederick Paley. It might have been the uh, music coordinator uh, then, but I thought it was a great choice. I mean, the first time I saw this, I really was just impressed at how how well it works. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there are some things about it, if we're going to nitpick the fact that Tubbs is riding shotgun in Crockett's Ferrari with literally a sawed-off shotgun in his lap, as you mentioned, maybe a little bit on the nose, right, in addition to the name of the song. And that the, the point at which Crockett calls his ex-wife Carolyn, Caroline to ask, it was real, wasn't it? Maybe just take that down a, a little bit, <laughs> like it's a little heavy. 
for a moment that's already kind of weighted with a lot of meaning just in terms of the, the, the audio visual. And Benny, I know this is the first time that you were able to see it and you have yourself composed for film and television. So initial thoughts on what, again, from the state side is considered to be like one of the most important, you know, mu- music uses in, in, in our media's history. What are your thoughts on it as someone who, again, you have composed for, for film and television yourself? Yeah, I mean, this is this is truly amazing. Uh, <laughs> so so beautiful and and so uh, timeless, really. You know, it's just they don't they don't make it more beautiful nowadays. Right. It's just yeah, it works so well and it's just perfect. Yeah, and you know, taking what you're saying here and and what Morgan was saying a moment ago is, I mean, this scene was from 1984. But we've become so conditioned to seeing scenes like this in television and movies that it's it's become commonplace. So if you had told me this was shot in 94 or 2004 or 2014, it, it right. fits in every era except for maybe some of the hairstyles, you know, those mm-hmm. curls that uh, Philip, you know, the tubs is rocking that kind of dates it. But otherwise, the rest of it could be completely contemporary and you would never know because in a lot of ways, and Morgan, certainly correct me if I'm wrong here, I feel like this that scene really set a template for how we, we think of how to use music to create atmosphere in this kind of way. A hundred percent. And it's an unexpected choice. I mean, what I like about the extra drama that you mentioned is it softens, it softens them. I mean, if you're going to be riding with your homeboy and he's got a shot off, a shot off shotgun, you need to stop at a payphone and call your babe. It gives them, it humanizes <laughs> them, right? Yeah. And um, I think in later years, that same scene, the music might have been more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I like it that it's Phil Collins. Um, yeah, and now we have those chords are just so lovely. Hundred so, percent, and they yeah. take they take their time with that's classic. Like, there's a music supervisor that makes me want to study and practice a little bit more. So, so well done. So we do have to get into the tracks because that's what we do uh, on this show. So I have to ask Benny, what is the fire track on the album? What's the one? Um, in the air tonight is a favorite. It's just uh, insane. Um, <laughs> But there are also a couple like "This Must Be Love." Mm. The second track on the album is for me really uh, uh, one that, because I was so young, you know, and I knew that album so well. It just takes me back there, and uh, I don't know, it goes deep. And uh, what I also really love is "I'm Not Moving." I, I I don't think I would have liked the album that much if that song wasn't on there because then it would be because it's a light song you know mm-hmm. and um otherwise it would be a little bit too heavy or too dark for me you know and uh that makes it light and i, I love light and music so mm. so that's a favorite favorite of mine as well I'm Not Moving is is my fire track off of the album. Um, Mm. Like Benny said, it is light. I love the tempo of this. It's airy. uh, It's bouncy. It is a reminder that, as I said earlier, Phil Collins can really sing. It gives me heavy uh, AOR vibes, and I love that. Uh, I love his background vocals. 
And it comes after thunder and lightning, but it's sandwiched between, you know what I mean, and if leaving me is easy. Almost as if whoever sequenced it is like, they're going to need to party before they do all this heavy emotional labor um, <laughs> before and after. So it was yeah. almost as if Phil knew these things. And I just love it. It just gives me a good feeling. So obviously um, in the air tonight it is, is a scorcher. But for me, I'm not moving as the one. Yeah, and it's also so heartbreaking again as well that it's a light song but he's singing to his daughter like i'm not moving yeah mm. which is like so heartbreaking after a, after a divorce you know and yeah you know my parents got divorced at the, like the same time around that time so it's for me just it's it's heartbreaking this punch to the gut but a, but a good one you know indeed yeah. Benny, you were saying earlier about In the Air Tonight and describing it as insane. Can you just elaborate a little bit on, on the insanity of In the Air Tonight? Yeah, so so what, what Phil Collins never thought of this song as like a pop song or anything that would do anything in the pop charts, you right. know? He, he was just trying to create a weird feeling with with, with a couple of like uh, droney chords and a, and a drum machine. Uh, it, it's, it's very long and, uh, and it goes on. Uh, without the drums for a long time, uh, without really saying anything, uh, the, the lyrics don't mean anything, um, and yeah, that's again respect for pop culture and and pop music for picking this up and just loving this, you know, yeah. and and recognizing it for what it is 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 being yeah a true pop song, but doesn't uh, abide by any rules, you know. Um, so weird to just how can just one drum fill and just starting a drum beat have such a deep impact you know it's really you can't do that like that it's it just happens to you and he, he probably didn't plan it as well but just uh, yeah fire was made there yeah lightning in a bottle as they would say yeah indeed right i mean for me as the resident I always pick the most basic, obvious choice. It, my fire track is in the air tonight. And I'm going to use one of the most overused descriptions of the song, but it's so atmospheric, mm -hmm. right? And there's so yeah. much space in how the song opens. And this goes back to your point, Benny, where it's just those droney chords. You have that uh, Roland compu rhythm drum machine kind of pattering off in the background. And look, I'm not really in love with a lot of 80s pop rock guitar but the way in which Daryl, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Stormer, comes tearing in, you know, within those first, I don't know, eight, 16 bars is, of course, mm -hmm. really, really iconic. Um, it's not the best moment on the song. That's the drum fill. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But Benny, you were saying just a moment ago how the lyrics don't mean anything. But what's funny is I think one of the, at least for me, one of the best known things about In the Air Tonight is that people have spent you know, years, literally years trying to decipher what the lyrics are talking about. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I 100% heard, I think the most popular rumor, and there are many, but the most popular one is one that I heard back in the 90s, which was that this song, if I have this right, was about Phil Collins when he was younger, witnessing someone drowning. And there was someone who was closer who could have saved that person, but chose not to, or just didn't do it. And that Collins wrote the song 
invited this person who, again, didn't save this other drowning person to the first time he ever performed the song live, got him front row tickets. This guy has no idea what's about to, what, about to happen, and then performs the, the song staring at this guy in the front row, basically saying, I know what you did, or I know what you didn't do. Now, yeah. to be very clear, this story is 100% not true remotely, but it is an amazing story, which is, I think, why it continues to have this lifespan where people just assume that it's real because it is. it sounds too good to be true, and so people kind of want to buy into it. And I'm wondering for each of you, you know, was this a story that you had ever heard about what the song meant? I hadn't heard that, but I mean, if if Phil invited him to the show and put the put the house lights on him, it was like it was you. That is so gangster, and <laughs> that is so gangster and hard for me to imagine. But if it if that had been true, that's really gangster. Well, I heard in an interview with Phil Collins himself, but maybe I'm 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 reinventing this now myself. But but I think I remember it right. Is he got to know this rumor? He he debunked this all himself in that same interview interview saying like the lyrics are about nothing it's just me and my anger and my my <laughs> strange emotions after the divorce you know and and uh, just trying to get that out uh, but then this this rumor started that that it's about that yeah and he played into that <laughs> during the concert hiring an actor in a seat and just putting the spotlight on him and wow. the, this actor like. Like running away like a, like a criminal, you know? Gangster. That's amazing. Let's talk about favorite moments um, on the album, and, and I will start. Obviously, I love the drum fill, the iconic drums on In the Air Tonight. That's it. That's it. And no matter what your sound <laughs> system is in your car, when that comes yeah. on, it just sounds like a thousand drummers. I'm in the back seat. Uh, that part is unbeatable and classic, but knowing the song the way I do, having listened to it over the years, now I love the lead up to the drum fill because now I know what's coming. Well, the first time you hear it, if you've never heard it before, it's a revelation. But now at around the three minute mark, I, the hairs on the back of my neck start to stand up because I know what's coming. I mean, it's the drum fill. It, what else could it possibly be? Not to say that the album doesn't have other great moments, and I'll mention an honorable mention just after this, but I mean, to your point, Morgan, it's all about, I mean, I think one of the things that makes that song work in the way that it does is it has this crazy long buildup, and this is a point that Benny was making as well. In most pop songs, you don't take that long to get to the meat of it, and I think really when you look back, the meat of it really is actually the opening. Uh, I mean, sure, once once the drums come in, the song transforms, the tempo picks up, but you can't remove that those first few minutes where everything is getting set up. It's this slow burn of anticipation, and then the fill is it's cathartic, right? It's about this release. And, and many people, right, certainly not me, just me, have said that it's one of the greatest drum fills 
in pop music history, including, I believe, from Ozzy Osbourne. So who am I to argue with any of that? Benny, how about you? Do you have a favorite moment off of this album? I mean, I mean, talking about In the Air Tonight uh, short, it's, uh, I mean, I agree with both of you, but but uh, let's look at it a little bit more because what it also has is like these two chords. Mm. And as a songwriter, you know that the magic of music is that most of the times just two chords, they just don't work. It's boring. Mm-hmm. And these two chords, they work. They just work. They have movement. They have emotion, like deep emotion, deep movement. It's it's crazy. Well, if you told me you were drowning, I would not lend a hand. I've seen your face before, my friend. And then, after the fill, what also is so good about this. Uh, I think it's like the placement of the bass and the kick, like the boom, 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 you know? If leaving me is easy after that is also just so... Um, the sadness is so recognizable for mm. me. I, I'm not sure why it's it's got to do with that 80s. I mean, a lot of parents got divorced, and you know, it's just so recognizable or something. There's, there's just such a, you know, everybody has his has his has its own sadness and his own things, and and this kind of sadness just really relates to my kind of sadness or something. You know? mm. I, I, don't, mm. I don't know why. It just, just goes deep. You know? yeah. I'm really glad you brought up that song because I was just about to ask for everyone's slow burner songs off of here and If Leaving Me Is Easy Is Mine. I don't think, you know, in the, the, the pantheon of divorce or breakup songs, I'm not going to say it's better than Marvin Gaye's uh, When Did You Stop Loving Me, um, as a song that hints at infidelity, I don't think it's as fun as Beyonce's whole up, but let's just say that like our dude, Phil is putting a lot, like a lot of personal biz in the streets on this one, uh, including alluding to, um, the rumor, or I guess maybe fact that his, who was to be his soon to be ex-wife, or maybe by that time the divorce had been finalized, but in any case, uh, intimating that she had had an affair. You see, And I don't think this is a particularly memorable song musically. That's just my my individual opinion. There's not a lot to kind of hang your ear on. That what makes the song work is really just in the performance and in the songwriting, and that really carries everything else. Um, I mentioned earlier that I had an honorable mention for favorite moment, and it's at the very end of the song. And I hope I didn't hear it wrong, but the one of the last lyrics, kind of official lyrics, is. Um, you know, if leaving me is easy, coming back is is harder. And then there's kind of like an ad lib line, which is, but I know you're not coming back. And it's just kind of snuck in there. Mm. 
And I mean, this song is already just weighted, weighted with heartbreak. And that last little stab to your heart was unexpected, but like, oh damn, Phil was going through some shit when he was when he was uh, yeah. composing this one, yeah. And that's that's the whole album. Uh, you you just feel like, and he also tells us in interviews that he he wasn't writing for other people. He wasn't even writing for something to be published. You know, he was just like fooling around with with equipment that he bought and he was just feeling miserable and this was what came out it's just like an experiment almost it's as if no one's looking you know and and that's what makes it so uh yeah so uh intimate to listen to you know indeed my slow burner definitely is leaving me as easy you can uh i feel like you can hear the tears um, it, it feels like uh, you, you feel the hurt, you harness the hurt with him, period. I also love the Isley Brothers cover of this song, which mm. which adds their requisite sultry. So, you know, I'm hearing I'm going through emotionally, but I'm also like, what else am I feeling here? So let's drop in. Please, let's play the Isley Brothers cover. That's how he meant it. That's how he meant to write it, and it, and it didn't work. Well, we, we we can't all sound yeah. like the Isleys, so you know, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. You hear that version, and you're like, actually, I'm not leaving. I am yeah. um, I'm staying, <laughs> staying right here. Yeah. Is there a song, um, Benny, uh, from this album uh, that you would like to cover? Um, I do cover sometimes, strangely enough, but I like kind of swore to myself when I was 15 I would never do a cover. Um, so, uh, like, I always think, yeah, I'm like a songwriter in my heart, so I, I really want to write my own stuff, you know? Um, and I, I always feel like uh, I wouldn't do it any good, you know? Right. Covering it. Mm-hmm. So basically, no. It, you you wouldn't you wouldn't want to try to redo anything. No, on but here. no, because it's it's probably too close to my own music. Yeah, you know, it, right. it would be nice to to cover a Slayer song and make a Benny song out of it. You know, but, but <laughs> to cover a Phil Collins song, it's it's just like too one on one or something. You know, right? Uh, Benny, if you had to describe um, face value in three words, what would they be? Maybe two words: eighties heartbreak. Mm. Something you know, yeah. Well, before we jump, we always want to leave our audience with something else. Step two, and so we have recommendations for if you enjoyed face value, you want to have something else to. Put into your five CD changer. Speaking of the 80s, we're going to have some recommendations for you. And we're going to lead off with Morgan. You know, I have to go to 1978. And I would have mm. to go to Gino Vanelli's Brother to Brother. Um, one of my favorites. It's certainly got some emotional uh, elements. I just want to stop. Love and emotion. Not heavy on the drums, but heavy on the bass. And uh, also reminds me of uh, uh, that 70s, 80s prog rock 
um, and soul combination that we talked about, a pop combination. And I love the album. The second one would be 1983 Michael Frank's Passion Fruit. But start with Gino Vanelli and, and keep going. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned um, Marvin Gaye's Hear My Dear before on the show, which to me is the greatest breakup album of all time. You can fight me if you disagree. So I'm going to pick something different for um, this recommendation, and that's to go back way back to 1958 and Frank Sinatra's uh, Sings Only the Lonely, which was recorded around the time, much like Phil Collins, um, coming out of a divorce. This was when Sinatra was getting his divorce from Ava Gardner. And I'm not a huge Sinatra fan, but I certainly can't deny that our dude Frank had quite the voice, uh, and that's especially true when you add or at least know about some of the real-life pathos that was going into his performances on this album. That soon somewhere You'll find the one that you Benny, you can close us out here. What would you recommend our audience members check out after they're done with Face Value? Um, let me see. What do I have? Um, yeah, what what to me is like uh, kind of in the similar uh, vein, but very different is Paul McCartney's Pipes of Peace, that whole album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think, also an album to be discovered yet or something you know it's 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 a, it's a very special album to me it's like in there in the top three together with face value and uh let's do that one yeah Thank you so much for coming through. That's going to do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Benny Sings. Can you let us know what you're working on now and where can people find you? I'm working on uh, like a, a beat tape. So uh, leftover beats um, and uh, a lot of hip hop on there. And uh, it's just a small in-between album. And uh, after that, I'll be working on a new album. So, uh, and uh, yeah, well, everybody can find me. I don't know. Um, I'm uh, I'm touring. You can uh, look up uh, bennysings.com for dates and stuff. And uh, that's it. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported